Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Yes, hello and welcome along to The Global Game with me, Simon Hill and Alex Brosk. We've done away with our usual high-energy opening titles for this week because of the gravity of events of Saturday night at Amy Park during the Melbourne Derby, a game, of course, that was later abandoned. Upbeat is not the overriding emotion in the game of football in Australia at the moment. And what transpired was upsetting, unforgivable, sickening, disgraceful. Once again... Football has taken a double-barrel shotgun to its own foot. Over the next hour, we'll try to assess what happened and why and what is the way forward for the game in this country. As ever, we welcome your thoughts and opinions. Our number is 1300 01 1170. Or you can text us on 0457 736 736 or tweet us at Global Game SEN. Before Alex and I have our say... Let's hear the views of the game's leaders. First, James Johnson, CEO of Football Australia, who are, of course, the A-League's regulator. I'll start with saying that I'm uh, horrified, I'm irritated, I'm angry with the scenes witnessed at Amy Park uh, last night. We have a case of some individuals. I will not refer to them as fans of football. I'll refer to them as individuals who have confronted and uh, attacked a player and a match official. We have been in touch with the APL, with the clubs, uh, and I've personally spoken with both Tommy uh, and Alex as well, who are right in the centre of the pitch invasion, who I'm happy to report um, are, are healthy, but they are shaken up. This is the first investigation it will be to determine what the outcome of last night's match will now be since it was abandoned before the final whistle. That is the first uh, focus of the investigation. The second will be a show cause uh, process that will be opened uh, with Melbourne Victory. And the third focus of the investigation will be against uh, the individuals who we are seeking to uh, to name, we're seeking to identify, and we'll be seeking to sanction individuals. This pitch invasion, and I want to be clear about this, it has nothing to do with the grand, groundswell and the rising of our game. The parent that takes their child uh, to grassroots football in Brisbane or the young boy who plays in our elite pathways in Perth or the 40-year-old woman who plays um, amateur football in Sydney or the fans who peacefully protested in Central Coast Mariners uh, in, in the Wellington game and Newcastle game, all the other two million people across the sport who love and support our game. This is not about them. It has nothing to do with them. It has nothing to do with the two million people who love and support our game week in, week out. This is an element that goes beyond football. It's an element that infiltrates our game and that really try to ruin it for the two million people who love our sport. And it's those people that we will be targeting in this investigation and who we will weed out of the sport. 
And our apologies for uh, the quality of some of the audio there in uh, James Johnson's statement. That show cause, as I'm sure you know by now, was duly delivered to Melbourne Victory on Monday morning. Victoria Police, meantime, said on Sunday they were investigating the events. And on Monday, three people were charged. Uh, Today, it's been confirmed that two lifetime bans have been issued, including uh, one to the person who has been labelled Bucket Man, who threw that at Tom Glover. Uh, Victory CEO Caroline Carnegie also made a statement on Sunday. Uh, First and foremost, we want to make sure and apologise to to Tom Glover and to Alex King. I think there was a Channel 10 cameraman that we injured as part of uh, the fans invading the pitch at the game. I also want to make it very clear that in no way, shape or form does Melbourne Victory advocate for what happened last night. In fact, we condemn it. And there is no possible excuse for players, cameramen, referees coming to work and not being safe. There's no place at our club, no place in the game, no place in the league for that sort of behaviour. I'm disgraced, appalled at what happened last night and, you know, we've tried to work with our fans in a number of different ways to make sure that they can be here to support the club and do it in the right way and I think last night shows us that, you know, we've come to a a point in time where what we've been doing probably hasn't been as successful as we'd like and we just can't condone what went on. Uh, But there are a lot of fans of Melbourne Victory and a lot of members that do the right thing and they turn up and they support the boys and they support the girls and, you know, we stand as as one with those fans. But but the others that displayed what they did last night, we don't want them in our club. That's uh, the words of Caroline Carnegie, the Melbourne Victory CEO. Finally, let's hear from the CEO of the A-Leagues, Danny Townsend, who appeared on Sunrise on Sunday. Yeah, look, it was disgraceful. It was a a small group of individuals that used the Melbourne Derby as a platform to demonstrate anti-social and illegal behaviour. You know, it it wasn't just an assault on a player or an official or a cameraman. It was assault on the football family. And, you know, when families are compromised, you need to get behind them and support them and make them feel better and and not dampen their enthusiasm for doing the things they love. And, look, for me, it wasn't a reflection of football. It wasn't a reflection of the A-Leagues. It was certainly not a reflection of Melbourne Victory. It's the biggest club in the competition. Their fans love their club. They, they love the, the teams that represent their club, they love the players that represent their club and importantly they love football and those people do not love football. Will you consider banning all fans that were there for the victory? No, not at all. You've got to be sensible about these things. These are a small group of, of perpetrators that, that don't love football, that don't love the A-League and don't love Melbourne victory and we've got to weed them out and we've got to make sure that what happened on Saturday night never happens again. Well, that decision not to exclude all supporters, of course, may not be the APLs to make. Football Australia's show cause letter to victory on Monday states that the governing body has a wide range of sanctions at its disposal, including fines, the loss of competition points and or the playing of matches behind closed doors or on neutral territory. Now, today, uh, supporters of the rest of the A-League clubs, or at least the uh, active groups that uh, represent them, have put out a collective statement and they have reiterated their commitment to the cause that saw supporters, these are their words, not mine, boycott and walk out of stadiums this past round. They say they were shocked at the scenes that took place in Melbourne on Saturday and condemn any of the violent protests that have damaged not just the message behind a peaceful, active and unified movement, but the reputation of football supporters across the country. Nevertheless, they say, we must endure in solidarity to enact meaningful change within the game we love so much for the good of its future. And they go on to say the governance of our league by the APL and the handling of the grand finals decision 
has highlighted the need for true reform that puts fans at the centre of decision-making. They go on to make four requests. They want the establishing of an A-League Supporters Committee that is consulted by the APL on decisions that impact its key stakeholders. Secondly, structural change in governance at an APL board level to have total independence from any club involvement. Thirdly, a wholehearted and unreserved apology by the APL for their disregard, egregious disregard, that's their words again, not mine, of the game's key stakeholders, players and supporters in brackets in the grand finals decision. And fourthly and finally, an exploration into the reversal of the decision to sell the next three grand finals to destination New South Wales or any commercial alternatives available. That's uh, with all the badges of the various active groups across the league, excluding Melbourne Victory. Uh, and it must be said, Canberra United, whether they have been consulted. Of course, they have a women's team, but not a men's team. Um, but uh, we're told that they have been consulted with uh, that statement as well. Now, it goes without saying, of course, that uh, we at The Global Game are relieved that Tom Glover, Alex King and the Channel 10 cameraman who all suffered injury at the hands of these thugs are physically OK. That's the most important thing. On a wider level, where to from here? I don't think I've ever been more despondent about the state of affairs as I was after the weekend just gone. Every stereotype that we fought hard against for years was underlined in triplicate on Saturday evening. Every fracture in the game exposed for the world to see. That this story made headlines globally the day before a World Cup final should be cause enough for those involved to hang their heads in shame. Sadly, I fear these idiots would only revel in their notoriety. I doubt they're football fans, but if they are, and they may be, then the answer's simple. Enforceable lifetime bans, which have already seen for two, for pitch invaders and jail terms for those who cause injury. Victory will be sanctioned too as a club, rightly so, even if the majority of their fans did behave in the correct manner. Sanctions may yet be applied to Melbourne City as well. But that's the easy bit. Now, the genesis to this was, of course, the APL's decision to sell the next three grand finals to Sydney. I'm not suggesting for a moment that it's any excuse. It's not. Peaceful protest is a democratic right. Lawlessness isn't. And it's not the first time the original style Melbourne group has created problems. Even so, it's difficult to imagine this scale of trouble had the APL decision not been taken, especially as the victory chair, Anthony Di Pietro, rode back from his involvement in it, setting in chain a domino effect which saw clubs duck for cover as the mushroom cloud of fallout grew ever larger. The timing of the announcement can also be called into question, coming as it did in the build-up to one of the competition's biggest fixtures. Now, inevitably, with football in Australia, the blame game is in full swing. Even I received an unsolicited text from a member of the coaching staff at an A-League club over the weekend, suggesting it was my fault and other members of the media that this trouble had occurred for fanning the flames in criticising the APL's decision. Essentially, he was telling me to try to remember which side my bread was buttered on. Now, this is part of the immaturity of the game here. He knows who he is, and he's wrong, especially in his assertion that I'm employed to be a voice of the game. I'm employed to cover it, not by football, but by Channel 10 and SEN. The media, of course, have to respond to events. And for people like Broski and I, who are voices in the game, when these things happen, we're asked for our opinions. And given the complexity of this decision... 
forming opinions aren't always easy. Come out on the side of the money that the game obviously needs, but impacts upon sporting fairness, and you get pelters from fans who question your credibility. Come out on the side of the fans, and you leave yourself wide open in the aftermath of incidents like this. The alternative, of course, is to to stay silent. Then you get accused of hiding. You simply cannot win. As I said in last week's show, being a journalist today is becoming almost an impossible job. We want the game to succeed, of course, but we're not PR agents. Most people think we should be, but of course, only for their side of the argument. Independent media is almost non-existent in the mainstream these days, in all walks of life. That's downright dangerous for democracy, never mind sport. Which is why the maxim always has to be, call it as you see it. Now, I thought the APL's decision was wrong, if for understandable reasons, and their messaging was rather chaotic, evidenced by the fact that some clubs almost immediately broke ranks with it. That left Danny Townsend alone, like a shag on a rock, to take the flak. Now, some have quoted Stephen Lowy's words from a few years ago when he told the game to be careful what it wished for, calling them prophetic. Maybe. But let me remind people as well that had his board implemented the necessary evolution at the time and kept everyone inside the tent, the full-scale revolution that followed would never have happened. That too was a game of power, ego and money. They are all two regular occurrences at all levels of this game. And it seems that whoever comes out on top, the game is the loser and ends up further divided. And therein lies a pretty big problem. We're now seeing some people, some fans of former NSL clubs, for example, excluded from the top flight in 2005, of course, expressing their glee and telling us they told us so after Saturday. As one media colleague said over the weekend, if the game has alienated fans of old soccer and now many in new football, then what's left? What is the solution? Rip it up and start again? No. The answer, and it's always been the answer, is to come together. So I call upon Football Australia to hold an extraordinary summit, involve reps of the A-League clubs, MPL clubs, grassroots, what's left of the football media to cover it, and most of all, the fans. They are the voice that has been excluded for too long, and on Saturday we saw that the lunatic fringe will take that exclusion to the furthest degree, given the right provocation, and take the law into their own hands. That cannot be allowed to continue. We have to find a way forward, and that includes everyone, and puts football and the fans back at the heart of the game. That won't be easy. It may even prove to be impossible. But football has to try. Conduct a full review of what's happened over the last decade, by government decree if necessary, yes, again, because these problems have their roots in a series of decisions made by the game's leaders over the last 10 years, including World Cup bids and expansion, the relationship with active fans, the governance war, unbundling, and many, many others. On the back of Saturday, we have reopened the door to all the old prejudices regarding the sport. Repairing it is going to take an awful lot of work, but it's got to start somewhere. Football will not die, but the A-League has sustained a heavy blow in the wake of Saturday night. Broski, your view. Um, look, I think you covered it very, very well there in most parts of it, to be honest. And, and look, I think from my side, look, I think the whole issue with the fans walking out, it does stem from the APL decision. Um, and, and it is a, a terrible dis- position to be in. The timing of it, obviously not great. Um, but 
look, it, it does open things up for a, a wider discussion that probably yeah. should have been had um, and now definitely needs to be had. I mean, on the one side, you've got the financial aspect, which is impossible to ignore, right? The reality is, you know, we don't have clubs that are supported by leagues, clubs like other club, uh, other codes. We don't have billion dollar TV deals like other codes and, and government funding. It is hard for us to get. So, you know, all of a sudden, New South Wales government throws $20 million at the game and the trade-off is the grand final situation that we got where obviously the fans aren't happy, but if you turn down the offer, how do you then go and ask for money later? So you've, you've got that part, right? And, and, and mm-hmm. how do we get money from them in the future? So for me, it, it sort of just comes down to the communication, how it was communicated. The APL should have sat down with all active supporter groups around the country in the beginning. I mean, there was talk that, you know, they should have had a voice and, and a seat um, to help with these decisions. The APL said they spoke to fans, but clearly not. Clearly not because they're not happy. And this isn't a decision that would have gone down well. So if they'd sat with them in the beginning, laid everything out on the table for them, for, for everybody to see and to understand why it needed to be done. Because um, like I said, a, a game needs the money. Of course it does. We're not big enough to turn down this type of offer, but you also can't ignore the fans. So in just sitting down, laying it all out and explaining to them why this in a way needs to happen, surely there, there would be a level of understanding. The games can't be that naive, uh, the, the fans can't be that naive to, to listen to everything and say, well, no, we're not happy because then they don't have a game to support in five years time after this TV deal, right? So we, there needs to be a level of understanding from both sides. But look, I, I think that what you mentioned there, your comments about the finger pointing that happens within our game, that, that's the part that disappoints me and really, you know, at times makes me really annoyed with our game and, and, and at times, again, w- want to walk away because as soon as there's any sign of trouble, instead of sticking together and finding a way through it, we, we've got, you know, in this particular situation, CEOs and clubs distancing themselves from the APL, leaving Danny Townsend high and dry to deal with a decision that they all contributed towards making, right? So they cut and run. So if the people who made this decision, they can't stick together, what chance do we have, right? This isn't a time for finger pointing and people saying, you know, it's the air fault and, and this person has fanned the flames. We need everybody to come together, understand what's happening within our game and just find a way to move forward, to grow together. Um, and that's the issue here. Otherwise, we want in five years' time, we don't have a game. It's that mm. simple. Just on a broader level, Broski, um, and we've seen sort of a, a bit of this, you know, with the World Cup and the controversy over uh, whether it should have been held in Qatar or not. And, of course, the, the European Super League continues to bobble along. It, it appears to me that we're sort of at a critical juncture as a game almost where the, the game is, is now so reliant on money that we're almost f- fighting over the soul of the game, aren't we? You know, the, the, the original culture, that the legacy fans, as, we, <laughs> as we've been labelled, um, over the commercial realities. And it seems to be at every level of the game, not just in Australia. No, it does. And, and you look at how we sort of have gotten to this point. Why, why is there a need for the European Super League? It's because the greed of some people to, you know, it starts with what the players are being paid, you know? Well, I was going to say, the players have maybe got to have a look in the mirror. I'm not say, necessarily saying in Australia where they get paid a lot less, obviously, but the top stars in Europe get paid... Uh, obscene amounts a of money. crazy amount of money. The transfer fees that we see. But look, I, I do find it hard to point the finger at the players. I think as a player, if you're being put something on a table, you, you're never going to turn mm. that down, right? So it's on the it's on 
the game itself, to this needs to be regulated somehow. I mean, you know, we have a salary cap system in here to avoid that from happening, to avoid what we're seeing in China at the moment, you know, where, you know, clubs have gone bust, billions of dollars has been spent and gone down the drain. And now their football, their economy is is struggling because of it. And it's hard to, to come back from that. So in a way, thankfully, I mean, the salary cap has stopped us from, from getting to this point, but everywhere else around the world, that then grows the need for how do we bring in more money, more sponsors, more eyes. And, and, and that's how you commercialize the game into what we're seeing. But then you risk alienating the fans and getting the fans upset and, and you need them more than anything else, you know? So it, it's, it, it is a shame uh, where the game is heading and, and you know, um, Hopefully we can <clears throat> find a solution in Australia at least. Um, 0457 736 736 if you want to send us a text. Uh, I'm sure we're going to have a fair few tonight. Uh, one from BT in Perth. Unfortunately, there's going to be collateral damage to innocent Victory fans. Uh, the North Terrace has had culture issues and a poor record for years whilst under the guise of Melbourne Victory fans. Uh, harsh penalties are the only way to ensure the pressure is kept on the club to clean up its terraces. Thank you, BT, for that. Um, This one from Jay from the Blue Mountains. Uh, The pitch invasion was by an overwhelming majority of aggressive, low, intelligent men, yet the women's game uh, will ultimately share in any penalties and consequences as a result. This is especially frustrating uh, right before the Women's World Cup. Absolutely, totally agree, Jay. Um, And we will ask Alicia Carnivas about her views a little bit later on in the show as it affects uh, the women's game. Uh, Keep those uh, texts coming through. Uh, Coming up in the rest of the show, we're going to review the rest of the Round 8 action in the A-League men's competition. We will hear from Brisbane Roar's Tom Aldred on his team's win in Newcastle. We'll discuss the World Cup final, which saw uh, Leo Messi finally get his hands on a winner's medal. Spencer Pryor will be giving us his view. Alicia Carnavas, as mentioned, reviews the weekend action in the A-League women's and Paul Williams looks ahead to the restart of the domestic competitions in Asia. That's all to come a bit later. Uh, as per usual, we've got a double pass to an A-League men's game of your choosing for our best texter, stroke caller, stroke tweeter. So join the conversation, 1300 0111 70, or text us 0457 736 736, or you can tweet us at Global Game SEN. We're back after this short break. Keep those texts coming in, 0457 736 736, or you can tweet us at Global Game SEN. Uh, let's, let's sort of reverse the show a little bit and go from where we normally start from, which <laughs> is Starter for Five. This week's Starter for Five, thanks to Guzman y Gomez. Food that athletes say yes to. Fast food that athletes say yes to. I missed out the fast there. It's been a long week. Uh, question one, Alex Brosk. Craig Goodwin's free kick. Goal of the year or no? Hold by beer. Um, look, one that it, absolute cracker of a free kick, um, but one that definitely stands out for me would be Giordano Colley's um, strike. Oh, yes, that Perth was a good one. Against Adelaide. That was more on the run, probably more difficult to do than, a, than from a set piece. So I'd go that one. But Goodwin's was a phenomenal free kick. Sure was. Uh, question two, Alex Molchanov. The World Cup, a raging success or the off-field stuff soured I must confess. I think you can separate the two. I think on-field, there's no doubt Fever will be very, very happy with what was produced. Mm. Fairy tale story. I think we all got what we wanted as football fans, unless you're French. <laughs> Off the field, uh, yeah, that's 
a different story and something FIFA needs to be held responsible for, in my opinion, whether they will be. Um, we'll see over the next decade or so. Absolutely. Best, best World Cup ever? Or, or certainly in recent memory, Broski? Recent memory, I'd yeah. say so, yeah. In terms of upsets, uh, yeah. matches, the final, everything. Okay. Uh, Broski, question three. The expanded FIFA Club World Cup, great for countries like ours or just another tournament for overworked stars? Um, oh, look, both, to be honest. I think, I mean, it, it obviously just means more matches for big clubs and, and their players, which will be difficult in terms of the, the workload, but great for countries like ours, you know, to give us more incentive um, for our Champions League and, and to put more of an effort into making those tournaments successful. Absolutely. Question four, Alex Molchanov. Brisbane Raw, a smoky in the A-League pack or no chance until they find the right man in attack? I think Warren Moon's got them in a position where they're their outlook is a lot more positive than it was at the start of the season. I, I think their lack of goals is going to hamstring them down the stretch unless they can find a way to fix that. And um, we're going to talk to Tom Aldred later. Hopefully he'll have some answers for us, but he's doing his job at his end of the pitch. There's no doubt about that at the moment. Sure is. And question five, Broski. Leo Messi, where I couldn't find anything to rhyme with this. So this <laughs> this is the first one that we've done in these starter for fires that doesn't rhyme. So my apologies. Leo Messi wearing a bisht to lift the World Cup. For next year's Women's World Cup, it should be a singlet or an Akubra. Oh, look, I, I, I couldn't find anything that yeah. rhymes with singlet. And you don't need to. You don't need to. Look, I, I think it was a, a disgrace. The moment I saw it going on, I thought, look, how does he respectfully sort of just say, listen, thank you, but I'm about to lift this trophy in my jersey, which is what everybody wanted to see. I mean, I hated seeing Messi lifting the World Cup for the first time in, in, in a bisht and not wearing... Um, not seeing him lifted in his jersey. I mean, these are iconic moments and images that will be shown forever. And that was rubbish for me. I, I, so, I hated it. Uh, uh, let me play devil's advocate for a moment. Some people have told me, and to be fair, I didn't know the history behind the Bisht. I had no idea. It is, is a mark of respect. It's uh, sort of a given to a warrior that is, has won in battle. It's a traditional thing. That's... Which is wonderful. But give it to yeah. him after. Or give it to him there, but not make him wear it while he's lifting yeah. the trophy. That, that's... Uh... I get why they gave it to him. Like I said, give it to him later, give it to him where he's not wearing it, holding yep. a trophy. Yeah. I have to say I tend to agree. Uh, that was this week's Starter for Five, thanks to Guzman y Gomez, home of clean, healthy burritos and bowls that athletes say yes to. Uh, a couple of texts before we head off to the break. Uh, this one from Brenton near Geelong. Um, hi, Simon and Alex. Uh, very long-time Melbourne Victory member since the start of 07-08 and a fan since the early inception. I'll make it clear, it was the most sickening and disgraceful night in Australian football for quite some time. Um, in my opinion, Tom Glover, who was a disgrace for throwing back the flare into the OSM area and injured a victory supporter, must be banned for that. Well, I guess you can say that if you bring a flare into the ground, if you don't bring a flare into the ground, then he's got nothing to throw back. Anyway, um, but Brenton goes on to say it's an absolute disgrace and bans uh, should be imminent. And of course, they are already. Uh, ben, hi Simon, I walked away from the A-League in 2016 after the Gallup administration stamped out any fun to be had at games. This issue right now feels different. It really does feel like A-League supporters are coming together over this. We're more united than uh, ever from where I stand in condemning the acts on the weekend and the decision uh, to sell the grand final. Thanks for that, Ben. And uh, this one from Jay from the Mountains again. Let's end the segment on this note. Been a tough fortnight, says Jay, but I just wanted to remind everyone there is so much to look forward to in Australian football. The Women's World Cup, Men's Asian Cup, 
National Second Division, A-League men and A-League women expansion, possible marquees in the January window, plus a number of teams to move back into their homes. We can't let a bad few weeks spoil everything. Here, here, Jay. Mm-hmm. We needed that. Thank you for that message. Keep them coming in. 0457 736 736. Back after the break when we'll review round eight of the A-League men's. Now, don't forget to download Keep Up, the home of everything A-Leagues, and watch the new docuseries, A-Leagues All Access, on Keep Up this week, the latest on the fallout from Saturday night at Amy Park. Uh, Sasha Pishani with the reaction to another Western United women's win over the weekend, highlighted by a spectacular Chloe Lagazzo goal and a celebration of Argentina's World Cup triumph, all available via the Keep Up app or at keepup.com.au. Broski, let's look back at uh, round eight, or at least the games that were allowed to finish. Um, <laughs> starting on Friday night, uh, Newcastle Jets nil, Brisbane Roar one. Uh, we'll talk to Tom Aldred, of course, in uh, a little while in more detail about uh, Brisbane's win. But uh, what, what did you make of that game in general, and, and particularly the Jets, because they've now lost four of their last five? Look, it's just a, a weird one. It's been the story of their, their season, um, really. They're just like a lot of teams, to be fair, struggling for consistency. You know, they, they won the first two games, everything looking great, lost three in a row, heading into the break, um, you know, coming out off the back of the break. They win the derby, you know, on the back of some good defense, which they obviously seem to have worked on, and then lose 1-0, you know, at home to the Raw. Um, Didn't which, create a lot either, did they? That's the, no, that's that's the concern. I think yeah. they seem to have worked a lot defensively, but, um, you know, against the Mariners, uh, the the one, well, they got a couple against the Mariners, but, yeah, just looked toothless in attack, which is strange. It's a real opportunity for them to sort of build, win back-to-back games, and it, it just highlighted their inconsistency all year. So, um, yeah, frustrating. A uh, good win for Brisbane, though, which uh, mm-hmm. takes them into the top six. Nikola Milojevic with uh, the only goal of the game. Um, talking of uh, goals that we remember, Craig Goodwin's strike for Adelaide United. Sadly oh. for him, uh, it came in a 3-1 loss at uh, Wellington Phoenix. So the Reds' five-game unbeaten run comes to uh, a grinding halt. And hasn't Ufuk Tale found another gem in Bozidar Krajev? He's scored now in his last four matches. He's got a real eye for an overseas player, hasn't he, Ufi? I mean, he's a good coach in general, no, but he, he definitely that particularly is. stands out for but me. You're right. He's, he's got his, um, you know, foreigners right. I mean, he did it with um, Davila coming in, Tom Ahmed. I'm almost certain he, he brought yeah. those boys in. Um and look, these are these are where he gets them, how he does his scouting. That would be interesting to know because I mean, Krayev has sort of just come here and and is doing extremely well, you know. And 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 they can definitely build something off the the two of those boys. So, um, look, the red card definitely sort of changed, uh, not changed much. Wellington were winning already that at that at that point, but I think it just made it more difficult. And then uh, Wellington went on, got the third one, and it was game over. But. Um, no, they're looking good, Wellington. You know, from year to year, they 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 always uh, you know tend to surprise us. We always have mm. them sitting outside the uh, the finals, and 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 they're always thereabouts. You you think one year we'd learn? <laughs> I think even you had them outside <laughs> this the finals year, this, I did. Year. <laughs> this year, <laughs> and you normally tip them. Um, the great entertainers of the league, Central Coast Mariners and Sydney FC, uh, always goals guaranteed. It seems when these two. Uh, meet and uh, their game at the weekend was certainly no different. And I really enjoyed calling this game. Terrific opening half. Um, but Sydney on the wrong side of it again. And I mean, talking about consistency, which you just did, they mm. just cannot find it. No, not really. I mean, they looked in complete control for the first half an hour. They scored, were looking good, moving it around well. 
um, and not really allowing the Mariners to do anything. And then all of a sudden, you know, within three, four minutes, they've conceded two goals off some set pieces. Um, and it's just, look, what's been hurting Sydney for most of the season. I think the Mariners did well to bounce back, um, even recover from that initial half an hour. Um, but with Sydney, it, look, it just highlights the, the loss of Wilkinson. Um, and Rodwell. And Again, Rodwell. Yep. I, I think more so with Wilkinson because he was already there and we know the organisation, um, you know, qualities that he has, the constant communication with players around him during play at set pieces, which are important. That's just not there at the moment. And that makes a, a big difference. They're conceding way too many goals and haven't seemed to uh, to fix that problem. Uh, Mariners needed that win at home, didn't they? Because they did. uh, I think they'd lost, was it three out of four on, right. on their That's own right. deck? And they've got a big derby to come uh, against the Jets on Wednesday night. So busy period for them. Mm. And, and look, a good one. I mean, if they win, uh, they've got a game in hand. If they beat the Jets, similar to uh, to the Jets, I mean, it's all very, very close. But all of a sudden, they're in third place. Um, and, and, and Monty looking very, very good again. Uh, now, obviously, we covered the off-field events in, in the Melbourne Derby, but uh, we should actually give a mention to Aidan O'Neill's goal, which divided the teams at the time that uh, the referee unfortunately had to bring the players off. Uh, heck of a strike. It was a great goal. The build-up, uh, he did well to turn, you know, leave his sort of man, um, you know, from midfield and go towards the goal. Play <laughs> a great one, too, with Van de Ven um, and the finish as well. So, yeah, it, sort of, it definitely got lost in... in in all the uh, the issues that followed. But, um, yeah, going back and actually having to look at that goal, it was a pretty special goal. And unfortunate that we were, uh, you know, got forgotten about pretty quickly. Uh, Western United got their second win of the season. A uh, very familiar scoreline from last year as well by the only <laughs> goal. Uh, Alexander Prijevic uh, with it. Do you think that's the start of a run for Western? And uh, what, what about the Wanderers? Are they a little bit unfortunate or are there bigger issues? Um, look, for the Wanderers, I think their issues have always been sort of going forward. We, we spoke a lot about defensively how good they've been um, and that eventually once the attack sort of got going, you know, that defence would, would be a great foundation for them. But they, you know, even after the break, they're still not quite there. You know, seven goals they've scored in eight matches, that's that's not enough. That, can, that will only get you so far. So, look, it's a, it's an odd one. You know, uh, Kurupic had... A couple of good chances, you know, which could have definitely won them the game. But uh, for Western United, um, look, you're right. I mean, this has some last season feels about it with that one nil scrappy sort of performance. So maybe for them, this is uh, the game that kickstarts their season. Sometimes that's what you've got to do, isn't it? You mm. just got to get back to basics, keep a clean sheets, and you know, Scrap hope you jag one at the other end and uh, build some momentum. A similar story, really, for Macarthur because they really needed that win against Perth Glory. Um, Robbie Thompson, I think, said on the call that Bashana Arabuli, their, their new Georgian signing, was barely sighted until uh, he found the only goal. Uh, but you're, as a former striker, Broski, I guess you'd take that, wouldn't you? Absolutely. Especially, uh, you know, when you're trying to um, to settle in and, and still trying to find your feet and get that understanding with your teammates, which can be difficult for... Uh, um, you know, for strikers sometimes. So goals definitely help in the meantime, you know, with confidence. It was a good header. Um, and look, I think for the Bulls as well, they're, they're still sort of finding their way and, and um, that was a massive win for them. But, uh, you know, especially after last week's performance against the victory. But this weekend, you know, taking on Sydney, uh, you know, Dwight York versus old teammate Corrick. I think this week is very exciting for both clubs and we'll 
Tell us a lot about um, about where both teams sit at the moment. Absolutely. Uh, the fixtures coming up then are Wednesday night, Mariners against the Jets, 7 o'clock kickoff. Uh, on Friday, it's Brisbane against the Wanderers at 7.45, and then the late game, Perth against Wellington, the distant Starby. Uh, Saturday, Christmas Eve, Sydney FC against MacArthur with a 5 o'clock kickoff. Uh, on Boxing Day, that's the Monday, Western United against Melbourne Victory at 6.00. And then two games on Tuesday, Melbourne City against the Central Coast Mariners at five o'clock. And then it's Adelaide United against the Jets at 7.45 p.m. Keep those texts coming in, 0457 736 736. Julian from Epping in Victoria. Julian says, 15-year member, been to almost every victory game. Never been so angry, sad and speechless. Could not believe what was happening right in front of me. Where do we go from here, boys? You'll have to listen to the podcast when it goes on uh, <laughs> later on tonight. Uh, we had a big chat about that, the first 20 minutes of the show. And I like this one from Craig. He's found me a rhyme. He's found me a rhyme. <laughs> you could have had, says Craig, Messi in a bish to lift the World Cup. Singlet next year, good idea, or no, turn it up. I rate it. Craig, cool. I'm going to hire you as a scriptwriter for my starter to, for fives, because to be honest, I'm starting to run out of rhymes. Uh, we are off to a quick break. On the other side of it, we will chat to the Brisbane Raw captain, Tom Aldritz. So let's delve a little deeper into that win for Brisbane Raw over the Newcastle Jets, the Raw's first win on the road this season and just their second overall of the campaign. Joining us on the line now is Raw skipper Tom Aldridge. Evening, Tom. Evening, guys. How are we? Very good. Good, good. good to have you on the show. Um, a result, I guess you could say, built on a solid defence, which you've had all season. Was was that something you put a lot of work into in the preseason? Uh, yeah, definitely. We uh, look with any any team worldwide. You want to you want to build from a solid foundation, and and I felt like in the first year and a half, I was we were at the football club. It's what Brisbane were about. I think we sort of we came away from it a bit last season, especially. But yeah, as you say, in pre-season this year, it was so important that we we kept the back door shut and we signed players within that that we felt could obviously add to that. And obviously, it's helped that I've I've stayed fit and. I will stay fit this season. I uh, had a bit of obviously issue last year with my knee, but now I'm feeling good and look, the team's playing well. And look, yeah, as I say, building from a strong foundation is important with any team and it's, it's been so with us this year. Yeah, absolutely. Look, I think the fact that you're playing uh, this season in that harder defence definitely makes a big difference to uh, to this team defensively. Look, I think going forward, that's probably the area, not just this year, but last year, that was of real concern. I think we all thought by bringing in a goal scorer like Charlie Austin, that, that was almost that missing piece of the puzzle. Uh, but it, it goals have still been hard to come by this year. So I guess... Two questions. I mean, what do you put that down to in, in the matches so far? And I guess now losing Charlie Austin, where do you find the goals going forward? Yeah, look, I think throughout my period at the club, the last three and a half years, uh, I don't necessarily think we've had a consistent number nine where we go, we can pin on him to, to rely on someone to, to go and get us 15 goals a season. You know, you look at all the best teams within the A-League and, you, you, they've all got the, the, that number nine who, who does gets those numbers and look we've not had that and had, for, for one reason or another, or another it's, it's not necessarily happened for us um, obviously now losing Charlie um, it, it, it's, it's, it is a blow for us as a club but we're hoping people can chip in and we've got a player there in Joe Knowles who comes from obviously NPL background and he's done well in the, in the Melbourne NPL I do 
think he can 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 definitely step up to 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 some level of capacity because he's he's been really good in the games he's played, and I think in that number nine role, I, I expect him to score more goals. That's for sure. Uh, do, uh, obviously, Warren Moon will probably be looking at uh, a replacement for Charlie during the January window, and I, I know you've lost Jesse Daly, who's gone off to to Canada as well. So there's probably a bit of room there in the salary cap as well. But as your squad stands at the moment, there's Nikola Miliusnic there, of course, as well, and one or two others. Are, are there enough goals in this team as it stands, or, or do you feel that you, you could do with one or two uh, more strikers? Yeah, look, as you mentioned there, we, we, we're probably going to lose those. Well, we are going to lose those two, and I don't know if there's one or two others probably heading out the door as well. So, look, it's up to the football club and, and the, the people at the football club to, to recruit within that now. Um, we, we, we do feel, look, there's players there that can score goals, but do we, does, do we need more? Yes. Um, we need strength in depth, and right now that's probably where we don't have that that um, that depth, should we say, is uh, and and people that can step in because we know that we're only in round eight or round nine. It, should, it is, but there's a lot of games to come, and as you know, um, with, with injuries and suspensions, you, you just don't want to rely on one or two people. So look, let, let's hope that we we uh, we recruit and we recruit well, and because I do feel like you say with a strong foundation defensively, we we, we can win a lot of games this year. Uh, we have mentioned Charlie Austin once or twice already, but I just wanted to ask you a specific question about him. Um, was that a surprise to the players that he, that he's gone so quickly and how big a loss will he be in the dressing room? I and mean, we, we've seen how passionate he is already on the, on A-League's all yeah. access. Uh, I assume he's a big voice or was a big voice in the, in the dressing room. Oh, huge voice, big character. Obviously, comes with huge pedigree at the levels he's played that in in England. Um, yeah, it'll be a loss. Uh, as I say, in in the change room, he was great lad, and he brought like a uh, that English mentality that we've probably had at the club for numerous years with the likes of myself, uh, Jay, and some of the other boys that were, were at the club previous. But yeah, look, um, big loss. Um, and yeah, he, he was a, he was a good lad. Did it come as as a surprise? Uh, look. In the end, probably not. I just like obviously without going too personal, he, he's, his family probably wasn't as settled as, as uh, I know he had family still over in the UK that hadn't moved over. And and look, as you know, when when you when you're away from family and you're trying to operate on that different time zone, it's not easy. And I just don't think you're 100% settled. And and at the end of the day, obviously family comes first. And and it, I think, uh, look, I do think there was an element from him of, of, of sadness that it probably didn't work out to how he wanted it w- with the family and because uh, he did enjoy it. He used to drive in with myself and Jay and we'd, we'd be, uh, he, he spoke highly of obviously the, fo- of the, of the football club and, and of the place. He loved it. He loved, he loved living here. And um, yeah, but like I say, family come first and towards the last six, six weeks, two months, he, he was obviously letting us know that 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 department in his, his life was 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 suffering, and he wanted to obviously. And going home was probably going to be the better option for him. Who who had control of the music in the car between the three of you? Going uh, in. <laughs> oh, when England were winning, me and him had the uh, coming home on, and then when when uh, when uh, France beat us, Jay with Jay had the Irish music on. But uh, <laughs> now we had we had some good 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 crack on the way there, and. Um, he got more accustomed to the Australian coffee. He moved <laughs> off the uh, hazelnut lattes onto the flat whites in the end. So. Good man. No, he loved it. And, uh, no, he was a good lad.
Mate, looking at the uh, the fixtures over the coming couple of weeks, it's, I think they've been pretty kind to you in terms of not playing any games on Christmas Day, Christmas Eve or New Year's Eve, New Year's Day. So it looks like you get to enjoy those festivities a little bit. Has Warren Moon, obviously the schedule's in place. Is it? It's an interesting type of year around this year playing. Normally, you know, teams that sort of focus and do well um, tend to come out of it quite well. What's Warren Moon been like going into this period? Um. Yeah, look, uh, I won't reveal the, the schedule, but no, look, uh, we've, 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 I think we've got Christmas Day off, so that's good. Um, obviously, we're playing the 23rd, so we won't do much on Christmas Eve either. So no, look, it's, uh, it's it's been kind to us, and obviously playing at home on the 23rd is decent as well for us um, without travelling. But uh, look, it's a Christmas period that's that's going to be relatively quite busy as well, obviously going into January. Um, and look, real opportunity to pick points up now if we win on uh, Friday night we, I think we go third if my calculations are right yep, so yep. great opportunity to, to move up the league I know there's probably been a, been a lot surrounding Brisbane at the front end of the year with things going on outside of the um, of the dressing room but for, for us as a group staff and players like we made a bit of a cult at the beginning of the year to, to, to block what was going on out, outside that we couldn't affect, not let that affect us and just control the controllables, which is ultimately, ultimately on the pitch. And we feel like we've got a good group this year that, that can do that. Um, can we add strength in depth? Yes, as I said before. But what we've got, I feel like we've got a, a good consensus of a side that, that, that can uh, that can compete this year, and mm. which we feel like we need to after last year, which was a poor season. Um, Tom, as you mentioned, you, you had a season that was heavily disrupted with injury last uh, season. You, you played every minute this term so far. Are they, uh, safe to say those problems are, are all done and dusted now? Oh, you, well, look, absolutely. I feel, my body feels good. I was It was frustrating last year. I actually got injured in the last game of pre, the longest preseason ever, then get injured in the last game. And it was quite a significant injury, and then I had a setback within that. So, and then came back and played the second half of the season. But as you as you know, as Broski probably knows, if you're coming back in the middle of the season, you're almost playing catch-up with the other boys. You're not fully fit, and you're just sort of ambling through games and just sort of patching over the cracks. But I had a full season, full pre-season this year. Uh, obviously, playing the Premier League sides was good, and now body body feels good, and I feel strong, and uh, yeah, just I feel fit. And look, I think for me, it's a big season because I want to lead Brisbane Roar, and I want to show the A-League like how good I can be. I think the last like season for me was 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 heartbreaking to, to not be at my at full fitness. So for me, like I say, it's just important to uh, stay fit, stay on the pitch, and 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 um, and, and lead Brisbane Raw. Looking uh, towards the your next match at home on Friday against the Wanderers, uh, look, they'll, they'll be looking to bounce back from a disappointing result of their own away to Western United. What sort of challenge um, will they provide? Have you looked already into their squad and where you can where you can beat them? Yeah, we have. We've done a bit of work on them the last two days. Um, we actually played them uh, a couple of months back at in Western Sydney, um, and the good good side. I think what they have added this year that they probably didn't have last year was a lot of physicality with the likes of obviously Yangi, the striker. Um, I can't remember his name, but um, well, I do remember his name. But I can't pronounce it very Yeni well. Yangi and Bakoto. The, <laughs> is that the one? <laughs> or Suleiman Kripic? Is that the one you're talking about? That's the one, Kripic. That's, it, yeah, that, that's the one. Um, and the centre-back, uh, Marcelo. So, look, they've got, they've got, they've got physicality in the side. I think they like to go a bit more direct. So, yeah, look, we, we kind of know what we're, we're, we're coming up against and they're a good side and um, obviously up, up the uh, near the top of the league. So, yeah, it's... Um, 
good side to obviously play. And look, we, we hope we've done enough work in the week to and perform well enough on the night to get the three points. Well, Tom, uh, you're sort of shaping as the Smokies at the moment uh, in the top six. In fact, in the top four as it stands. So um, uh, wish you all the very best of luck against the Wanderers this weekend and for the rest of the season. And thanks for joining us on the Global Game. See you, mate. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. I can tell you who the happiest man in Australia is right now who follows football, and that is Spencer Pryor, because the Premier League's nearly back, nearly back. How are you, Treacle? Can't wait, mate. Because <laughs> I'm a bit excited, because we have had a wonderful World Cup. It has been phenomenal, but it's time to get back to the proper football. <laughs> we will ask you about that. And, go, oh, by sorry, the go way, on, on. and now we've got a club World Cup. How good's that going to be? <laughs> the 32 team World Cup Club World yeah. Cup Yeah You happy about that Or not Yeah but I, you, you, Whether we get any European teams in there I'm not so sure But I'm very happy for it <laughs> I think it'd be fantastic I think it'd be good For this part of the world um, Let's talk uh, The World Cup And of course you, You're going to be At the Women's World Cup Potentially With Papua New Guinea Next year The new coach of Papua New Guinea. We've quite, wow. Mate, we've got quite a bit to do yet. Trust <laughs> me. Um, no, we've got the we've got World Cup qualifiers. So the qualifiers are still going on. They won Oceania Championship. And uh-huh. obviously, Chris, New Zealand have qualified as hosts, a bit like Australia. Um, we got a spot, uh, half a spot, which gives us a chance at the qualifiers, which are being hosted in uh, uh, Auckland in February. So. Brilliant. They ask if I go in and support them. We've essentially got to try and do in three and a half months what the other teams have spent three and a half years preparing for. So Easy. Easy. Back to the wall. Back <laughs> to the wall. And, um, yeah, it'll be a great challenge. But the girls are, the girls are half decent. But we've, um, we've, we've had them based in Sydney for the last month. Um, they'll go home for Christmas. And then we go down to New Zealand in January. Hope you've learned the anthem. Um, let's talk about uh, the Men's World Cup. Uh, Argentina, of course, champions for the first time since 1986. Uh, Leo Messi, of course, the hero. Uh, d- does this yeah. end the debate about the greatest ever? What's your view on this? It seems to be a topic that's doing the rounds everywhere at the moment. Yeah, I'm not buying into it. Sorry. <laughs> ever. Yeah. Ever. Well, ahead of Pelé and Maradona. Played, if, if Messi had played in days when you could go through the back of people and just not even get a yellow card, <laughs> I'm not sure he would have survived uh... and, as, and have been as good as Pelé. So I think Pelé still sits at the top. Mm-hmm. Messi, would be very, Messi would be very close as a, a, a current footballer under the current regulations. But the, I, I'm, I don't think you can compare and it's not right to compare generations. No, good. Um, I would say under the current footballers, he's the he's the best. But the goat, I think goat is a term that's used um, too loosely. Right, not a Ma- not a Maradona Pelé. fan then. Pele. Okay, no Maradona. Go on, no, Broski. No, not Maradona. <laughs> 
He's, no, not after the hand of God. No chance. <laughs> <laughs> I knew that was going to come up. Go on, Broski. Spanner, what about yeah. the final itself, mate? I mean, oh. look, my memory is shocking, so that could be why I can't remember many others. But, you know, I mean, a few <laughs> that stand out. Brazil's win, 1970. Maradona's Argentina winning in 86. The drama between Italy and France in 2006. I mean, is this the greatest final that you've ever seen? Broski, do you remember 1970? I don't remember 2020. <laughs> <laughs> I think it was a yeah. It's it's um, it's the best final I've ever seen, mm. and I think as a tournament, it's the best tournament I've probably seen. Um, if we take out, if if we can get away from the politics of the human rights and the stuff that's gone on off the pitch. It's the best football tournament that we've seen, given given that it was played probably you know that it's played during the winter period for the European teams. They're at their peak fitness. The other teams have just finished. We don't have that month where teams are all out of season and they're preparing. It was full on. The football was epic. Mm. Um, you know, from a football side, Argentina just smashed them for you know for the start. France just showed real resilience, and I, I think. Across the tournament, the the, bet, the right team won. Everybody wanted it to be Messi, and everybody got on the Messi showboat. And 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 I'm look, I I think from from day one they were the most dangerous team in the tournament. Mm-hmm. You know, the Socceroos had a great game against them. Let's be fair, but they were they were the outstanding team of the tournament. They really were. They played great football. Um, I saw England got the Fair Play Award because they only had one booking. I uh, think at, least, at least we won something. Mate, I had about 16 <laughs> bookings. So <laughs> they were tough, resilient. They knew how to win. They weren't afraid to put tackles in and they were they were dominant with the ball and without the ball. Can you, can you tell that Spenner was a central defender back in the day? <laughs> yeah. hey? We didn't Look, get enough yellow you. cards. I'll tell you how good a tournament it was, right? My daughter, the youngest one, she has hated football. She's a basketballer. But now, she said to me the other day, she said, Dad, I've, I love football. I love it. I've wow. watched all the games in the World Cup. That's what this game's about, right? That's, what, that's the magic of it. And that's what a tournament like this can do. So mm. I've converted one of my own into now a football fan which means it was a great tournament. Brilliant. Um, I I want to ask you about the penalty shootouts. Um, I don't know if you've seen, there's a thread on social media today uh, that has basically broken down every penalty faced by Emiliano Martinez, the Argentina goalkeeper. It's it's Mm. quite brilliant. And it shows that before every penalty, he did something just a little bit different to try and uh, gain the psychological upper hand. Um, and it, it's it's fascinating stuff. I, I don't know if you've been involved in penalty shootouts or, or even you, Broski. I'm sure you must have been at some point during your career. Did you uh, did you go into this depth of detail or was it a different era back in your day? Completely different era in, uh, in our day. We would have practiced penalties mm. and I would have been the very, very last. I think the kit man would have taken one before me. <laughs> <laughs> but we we would have gone and practiced them, but it does go to uh, a, a completely new level now in terms of the preparation, the work with the goalkeeper coaches do with the keepers, um, sports psychologists are doing different things, preparing players and preparing goalkeepers completely, so 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 they're ready for the moment. And and 
look, across the tournament, it was it was always so close. There was always a chance it was going to go to penalties anyway. Even though it was such a thrilling final, it it, it was it, it was. Um, it was kind of meant to be that it would come down to penalties, right? And the, the the minutest of details in terms of preparation, they they wouldn't want to go into it now. Given the money that goes into it, they they want to make sure all, all those bases are covered. So yeah, we wouldn't have done it in our day, um, not to the level it's done now. You'd have just stepped up and wellied it. Um, <laughs> let's uh, finish off by <laughs> by just talking very briefly uh, about the restart yeah. of the Premier League. Of course, it gets back underway on uh, Boxing Day. I think Arsenal are five points clear, uh, but they've lost Gabriel Jesus, who's had surgery after an injury picked up at the World Cup. How how damaging could that be potentially? I think it's going to take a few weeks, Simon, just to work out who's what and where, right? So players are all going to come back in. Club, they'll, they'll rest players. You know, they'll, they'll, across the board, the clubs will rest players. Um, and it will, you know, you know the, 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 the Christmas period in January, it's, it's normally very, very busy schedule. So clubs are going to manage that it won't just be going straight back in bang there's your starting 11 it will be a different 11 it will be a squad rotation thing at the start I think players will find their way back in some will be given longer time to recover those who were out the tournament a little bit earlier like the England players they'll all go straight back in whereas the mm. French and Argentinians they'll, they'll take longer they'll, they'll give them another an extra two weeks off yeah. so it's going to take time to see where everybody's at. January, and, and I think that will show the depth of squads. So losing Jesus is a, is a big loss for Arsenal, but you know they've, they've got good depth outside of that. But I think um, I'm looking forward to seeing where Man City are at, actually, and uh, seeing what they do, the damage they do when they come back at the start. Well, Erling Haaland's had a nice rest, hasn't he? Um, he has, so we'll see he how he goes. Uh, City play <laughs> Liverpool in the Carabao Cup. Uh, we'll see what sort of teams they put out for that one. Hey, Spen, we've got to go. Uh, thanks, mate. We're back to normal next week, talking about Premier League full-time. Can't wait. Take care, guys. Lovely to talk to you. Cheers, Spencer. That's uh, Spencer Pryor. Off to another quick break. On the other side of it, we will talk women's football with Alicia Carnabas. Oh, I needed that feel-good music after tonight's show. Uh, time to talk women's football again with Alicia Carnabas. Evening, Alicia. Hey, Alicia. How are you guys? Very good. Uh, before we get on to the weekend's A-League women's action, uh, we thought we should ask you your thoughts on what's transpired this week with the APL's decision to move uh, the grand finals, because it's not just the men, of course. It impacts uh, upon the women's game as well, as does Saturday night's shenanigans. Yeah, of course. And look, Saturday night was just really, I think, as we all expected it to be, extremely disappointing for anyone who loves football in this country. But I think ultimately, you know, aside from the thuggery and obviously the the punishments that are starting to roll out there, I think the most disappointing thing for people is it takes us so many steps backwards. And the, the fans are angry. Football people are angry at the moment, and rightly so. And I think... A, a big part of this, um, I guess, fallout or whatever does transpire from Saturday in particular and the decisions that have led to Saturday is um, the impact it's going to have 
on the A-League men's, but specifically the A-League women's, I think there's a large sort of portion of that that's um, perhaps forgotten about. They've gone through this recent expansion. And I think if you're serious about sustaining expansion and attracting players um, of good quality to come back and play in this league, you've got to be really serious about your decision-making as well. Um, so the impact that then has on our league, the women's league in particular, moving forward next year, um, I think is a bit, it, it's detrimental. I think it's going to put us in a, a precarious position to build that league. Um, on the back of a World Cup, I think people are expecting growth, but if we're not getting it right at the national level and, and the national league level, it makes it very, very difficult to grow. Mm. Uh, you mentioned the Women's World Cup. Of course, it's only uh, six months away. Uh, some of the competing teams are already down under, I understand, getting a feel of the conditions. Who's over here at the moment? Yeah, well, we heard from Spencer before. He's obviously um, looking at, at coaching PNG. So I believe yep. they've been in town um, and, and out and about training and, and getting organised for qualifiers. Um, the Philippines national team, the women's national team are here as well. They've been training um, obviously, they've got an Aussie coach and Alan Stadgett, and they are getting ready. They're, they're getting organised and getting all the ducks in a row with their preparation. But I think it's it's acclimatisation as well to how we perhaps do things down here and what's available to different teams when they are here uh -huh. for the World Cup and their preparations. So it's good. It's fantastic. And uh, I also understand Lisa Devanna made an appearance at, uh, at the Philippines national team camp. Yeah, I saw that online actually. So, um, look, I was a bit surprised to see to see Lisa there. She was out and about, which is probably the first time I've seen her in and around football since uh, retiring. But I think it's good. I think former players who've still got contribution um, and and a lot to offer, I think, is important to to football in general, if not domestically. I think if it's if the opportunities are available with other teams internationally, which we seem to see a lot of our our coach is doing at the moment, picking up gigs overseas, men's and women's. So I think um, it's a it's a positive thing, um, all in all, to see old players and old coaches or former coaches in and around the game building it. So, yeah. Looking at the A-League women, uh, Chloe Legazzo is in cracking form for Western United. She scored twice in a, in a big 3-1 win over Melbourne City and um, Western United now top of the league with a perfect record. Could they, in your opinion, emulate what the men did last year, you know, keep that form going and, and go on and win it? Yeah, look, I, they were one of the teams that I probably looked at from the start and thought they'll be up there, top four, absolutely. Um, they're having a dream start and I think they could definitely go on and win the league. It just depends, as I've always said. It's a longer league this time around, so the girls are playing all the way through until April, I believe, that last weekend of April. If they if they can continue to build momentum and build off, off of their strengths, I think they'll be in, in and amongst those semi-final and the finals for sure. But it's great to see Chloe performing well, but as a unit, equally, they're just performing really, really well as a collective bunch. So it's great. Um, now, what about the defending champions, Melbourne Victory? Of course, have gone back to back. And I'm interested in your thoughts on Kayla Morrison, who's a central defender uh, and who scored a hat-trick at the weekend. Now, she, she's talked about wanting to play for the Matildas. Uh, it's probably an open secret that the national team might have a vacancy there at some point. Uh, is she worth the gamble, do you think? She's American-born, of course, but uh, I think she is qualified to play for Australia, isn't she? Yeah, I've heard a few whispers that her citizenship's not too far away as mm. well. So, look, I, I think Kayla, 
is obviously performing quite well. Three goals for a central defender. That's that's no mean feat. But I think she's an asset to the game. And if you can acquire a player like that, she's a fantastic spokesperson for women's football in particular. But um, she's, she's a great leader. And I think, like you said, Simon, there are gaps uh, in our defence uh, for the national team. And I think she'd be definitely worth a look at if... Um, if there's room, I'm not sure before the World Cup, but definitely in the future, if she's if she's a candidate for sure. Looking at Adelaide, I mean they're second at the moment, four wins out of five. Um, you know, since the A League women began, they've never re- they've never featured in the final series up until last season, of course, and now again uh, in a, in a great position to go on and do well. What's what's changed at the club? Yeah, I'm not too sure. And I know Adrian um, Stento, and I've spoken to him in the past, it, it's been a, a bit of a slow build down in Adelaide, but it's been a confident build as well. So I think um, the combination that he perhaps has in personnel down in Adelaide at the moment is finally clicking uh, a bit more than the last few seasons, absolutely, particularly when he's been in charge. So I know we just spoke about Chloe and and Kayla as examples of of individuals um, in the women's league, but I think what Adelaide are doing really, really well is not so much about the individuals. It's more about that that unit performing quite cohesively, and I think Adrian's got that going quite well at the moment, and hopefully they can sustain it because, yeah, a bit of a surprise package for the league, which is always great, to be fair. We always like to see surprise packages. Um, I just want to finish off, Alicia, by asking you a rather disturbing story that's uh, been, well, it's been going on for a few months, let's be honest, over in the US. A lot of um, investigations going on into misconduct, particularly by coaches, some by players as well. And Vera Poe, this this surprised me. Vera Poe, the Republic of Ireland coach, has been named in a joint investigation, accused of misconduct. She's been accused of micromanaging players' diets and of fat-shaming during her time at Houston Dash. Allegations, I should say, that she denies, and she remains in charge of the Irish team at the moment. Um, Am I right in saying that Vera actually made some allegations of her own uh, not not too long ago? This seems to be an an awful mess over over in the States. How, How does it get resolved, in your opinion? Yeah, it, it's a delicate one, isn't it? And it's mm. one of those things where, um, yeah, Vera's been very clear in denying all of the allegations. Um, it, in women's sport at the moment, we're starting to see a lot more of this where players are obviously speaking up about their their experiences. Um, I think what's really changed in women's sport and focusing on women's football in particular is that probably in the last five years, particularly in Australia and in many countries around the world, uh, it's turned professional, right? So the yeah. minute um, sport turns professional and you take a wage, it becomes a workplace. And so suddenly a lot of these clubs, teams, national teams, whatever it may be, are subject to, I would say, workplace law mm-hmm. in many cases, whereas the men's game's been professional for far, far longer. And so with the growth of women's football, um, we're starting to see enormous changes um, structurally in how it's run. And so I think... The growth is fantastic, but perhaps the administration in many circumstances aren't keeping up in, in what's now expected of coaches or people in positions of power with, with players as well. So, yeah, it's a delicate one. It's an interesting one. Um, the US always very, very vocal about um, misconduct and, and usually quite supportive of their players. So it'll be uh, one to watch, I think, with yeah, what happens. No doubts about that. So hopefully, as you say, just... 
sort of growing pains in many ways uh, for women's professional football around the world. Uh, and also great news, of course, that uh, we're going to have a FIFA Women's Club World Cup as well, which is terrific. We'll maybe ask you about that next week, uh, Alicia, because unfortunately we're out of time. But uh, thank you as ever for your insights tonight on the global game. And we'll uh, speak to you again next week. Happy Christmas. Merry Christmas. Happy Christmas. Enjoy, guys. Thanks a lot. Thanks, Alicia. That's uh, Alicia Carnavas talking about uh, the women's game. We're off to another quick break. On the other side of it, we'll answer some of your texts and tweets. Uh, we're going to spend the next few minutes answering some of uh, your messages. Uh, we got one from Angus, Angus in Malvern, and it's a good question, I think. Is there anything the organisers of the uh, 2023 Women's World Cup here can learn from Qatar? Um I would actually say I'm going to go out on a limb here and and slay the sacred cow that is alcohol and say that the fact that fans were sober around the stadiums was actually pretty good and it did sort of calm everybody down in in many ways. I didn't mind it. How, how would how did it compare? You've been to say this one and then Russia. Um, how did they compare from an alcohol and fan behaviour point of view? Well, I mean, I didn't see any problems in Russia. Um, in fact, I don't think I've ever seen a problem at a World Cup. It's just not that sort of tournament normally. Uh, maybe England fans back in the day. And that was certainly alcohol-related. Um, but I just felt the general vibe around the stadiums was less tense. Uh, now, maybe that's because it was in a different part of the world and it attracted a different sort of supporter. I don't know. Mm. Uh, alcohol was available. You could get it, but obviously not inside the stadium, unless you're a VIP, of course, and paid lots of money, in which case you could get plenty of it. But uh, I thought it was... I didn't think it was a bad idea, to be honest, yeah, even though I wasn't for it at the start. Um, here's one for you, Broski. Uh, something that's flown under the radar, says JML from Western Sydney, is the recent tweet by Ray Gap, former journalist, of course, that Canberra and Auckland are apparently the preferred regions for A-League men's expansion. Uh, that's uh, JML's words, not ours. We don't know if that's true or not. But Broski, would they be your two choices? Um, oh, look, I'm happy with Canberra. I definitely think um, Canberra needs a team. Um, Auckland, I don't mind. I mean, we're just looking at that and from a derby point of view, what that would do for New yeah. Zealand football um, and Wellington to help grow Wellington as well. Um, look, outside of that, I mean, I know there's, you know, we've spoken about another team in Queensland, potentially Brisbane, uh, you know, Southern, Western, wherever in Brisbane to give them a derby. But I just don't think that appetite is there for uh, for a second team. Um, and Wollongong. Wollongong's another one that I think uh, Wollongong's a, you know, a big city that, um, you know, has with the Wolves and what they had um, years ago in the old NSL is crying out for a team of their own. So, The only thing I would say about Auckland is if you, if you look at all the cities uh, that we have in Australia and New Zealand, the two countries that play in the A-League, the biggest city that is not represented is Auckland. Uh, by quite some distance. Um, it's got well over a million people. Personally, I, I wouldn't be going to Auckland next. I would certainly be going to Canberra because I think it's ridiculous. We have a team from another nation's capital being Wellington in our National League and we don't have one from our own capital. Mm. Um, but I would be going to Queensland if there is the appetite there because I, I think it would be very good for Brisbane Raw and I think a state the size of Queensland, the third biggest after New South Wales and Victoria in terms of population, I think it needs it because there's a lot of players up there. Anyway, um, I'm sure people have got different thoughts on that. Uh, we got a tweet from Athan Kalos. Uh, Broski, do you think we need a, a sugar hit to reignite the excitement in the A-League? Uh, a Del Piero type. 
A sugar hit. Given yeah. what we've just gone through, we need a full-on, you know, <laughs> triple <laughs> chocolate cake. I think. <laughs> we need an injection pure. <laughs> uh, look, I, it'd be great. Don't get me wrong. There, there, there's some issues that need to get um, sorted, and you know, in the meantime. Uh, yeah. But look, someone like that. There was a, a lot of talk. You know, Nani was apparently supposed to be that bit of a hit, which. Um, for whatever reason, we sort of haven't, um, you know, seen the full effects of. But, you know, I, look, I, I love the idea of marquees here as long as they bring the right sort of thing on the field, definitely off the field. Um, look, it could help. It, it always would help, you know. That, that's a sort of um, fan that fans that we have in Australia. A lot of them come out for, for, for big stars and, and that probably could be what we need at the moment. Now, I maintain that if David Beckham put the boots back on tomorrow at the age of, what is he, 47, 80,000 people would rock yeah, up yeah. in Sydney, uh, which is both a good thing and um, very frustrating. Mm. Uh, and also, of course, it comes down to money. I mean, you look at the ridiculous dollars that uh, the club in Saudi Arabia were throwing at Cristiano yeah. Ronaldo. There's no way we can ever compete with that. Unfortunately, that's just the way it is. Uh, an interesting one from Noel Hopper. Was it strange going to games at 10 o'clock local time in Qatar? It was. And I tell you what, by midnight, I was almost nodding off. You know, I'm an old man these days. <laughs> by the time we got home, uh, for, from the first game, and there were, there were a few issues with, with transport as well and navigating the roads with the drivers and roadblocks, etc. We did not get home until quarter to four in the morning. Wow. And that was it, for a game in the same city. So you can imagine, you know, how difficult it was in certain places. So but it was a bit Because of that, bit, like I heard I had family that went over yeah. um, and, and they were saying during the day it was dead. So, I mean, were you it was. sleeping all day then? Uh, no, I was working because I was doing the show. I was doing the global game. I'll let you behind the curtain here, listeners and Broski. There's a couple of days we were sort of sorting out backup options because we didn't know if we were going to get the show in time from, yeah. from Simon and Cozzy, who hadn't woken up yet. Yeah. So that was fun again. And Cozzy was sick. Yeah, Cozzy, and Cozzy uh, by the end, if you were listening, his voice was, he was hanging on by a thread yeah. towards the end. He did very well. He did very well. Yeah. A uh, couple more. Um, Salvatore, this is a more serious note. Salvatore Boracino, this is our central theme, of course, of the show tonight. What are the appropriate punishments for victory? Points deduction, heavy fines. Also, what about the security measures uh, regarding flare concealment? To, to be honest, just on the last point, I'll let Broski give his views and you can have a think, Broski, about what you think is the appropriate punishment. But with regards to the flares, I mean, they do theoretically search people as they come into the stadium, but they're so small and easily... Uh, concealed, mm. unless you're going to do full body scans on people or cavity searches, I don't really know how you stop it, apart from, uh, you know, going down to every place that issues, issues flares and, uh, you know, insist that they uh, get out their boat licence. Look, I, I still... Because they're illegal. I, yeah, <laughs> look, I just think... I think they add to the uh, atmosphere of a game and the colour of a game. I actually don't mind them, to be honest. I get, I get why people don't, but... I think there needs to probably be harsher punishment on people that say throw things because you understand mm. why they're dangerous. If you throw them, you can burn somebody, right? Like there should be stricter punishment um, and people should know about these punishments. If you, you know, if you take a flare and you throw it or if you, the, the incidents that we saw, right, there should just be greater deterrence for people doing the wrong thing. Taking a flare and, and waving it around. That's the, fine. The, but the, the problem you is, throw it, we've sort of we've tried the tolerance thing, haven't we? Of the flares. I mean, during the World Cup, the people at the live sites, and you know, we. It, to be fair, it did look great, mm. but unfortunately, 
people don't use them in in the right way, and they're dangerous things, caught, aren't they? In the wrong hands. Saying. If you get caught throwing one or, or using it in the wrong way, and they know it's something silly like a, a fifty thousand dollar fine, are you gonna are you gonna throw one for fifty thousand well, dollars, knowing you can get seen on security? Yeah. I think that that punishment just needs to be incredibly harsh, um, and that will stop people from doing it. Okay, last one quickly. Nick Rojas. Uh, Messi has conquered everything in football. Where does he rank among the greatest sports athletes of all time? Not just football. Ooh, athletes. That's big. Um, and, and who are we comparing him to? You're Michael I don't know. Jordan. Muhammad Ali, Michael Muhammad Jordan, Ali. Tiger Ooh. Woods. Well, without a doubt up there. I mean, this is a guy who um, the, the pressure on that final, oh. outrageous. And, and to do what he did, everybody's wanting it to happen. You know, outside of probably Cristiano Ronaldo, everybody else is hoping and wanting him to win it. And he he carried that, he shouldered it in the biggest moment of all and, and did it. Yeah. You know, that that's that's up there with the greatest, without a doubt. Yeah, I do think that to, to be in that register, you have to transcend your sports. And I think very few do that. I think Messi certainly does that. I think Muhammad Ali probably did it best of all. Uh, anyway, there are views. We're off to uh, another quick break. Thanks for all your interactions tonight. It's been absolutely terrific again. Uh, we'll round out the show with uh, Paul Williams and Football Asia on the other side of the break. It's time for Football Asia with Paul Williams. Yes, we round out the show as usual with Football Asia with Paul Williams of the Asian Game Podcast. Evening, Paolo. Hey, Paul. Simon, Alex, how are you going, guys? Very, very good. Uh, now, we know it better as the AFF Suzuki Cup, but it's now the AFF Mitsubishi Electric Cup, uh, the Championship of Southeast Asia, which is always a great tournament to watch, and it gets underway tonight. It's flown under the radar a little bit, of naturally, with the, the World Cup being on. But, yeah, the no sooner has one tournament ended that another has started. It's Southeast Asia's World Cup, if you want to phrase it like that and it does get underway in about 20 minutes i think it is the opening game between cambodia and the philippines will uh will kick off of course Casca honda still in charge of uh, of cambodia as well two nations that are kind of going through a little bit of a uh, a rebuild as well so it's a fantastic tournament they've gone back to the original format there's no covid bubbles with no crowds now it's it's a home and away format so each team's going to be playing games at home hopefully with some some decent crowds and some decent atmospheres as well so um, it's great to see it back and vietnam is seen uh, as the favorites in this tournament park hang Seo in uh, in his last so, tournament so, so? park hang so mm. Right, okay. Park Hang So is uh, this will be his last tournament as coach, uh, and it's also helped by the fact that their big rivals Thailand are, are missing a few players. They are, yeah. Thailand are, are missing a lot of players. Their their star man, really, Chana Tips on Krasin is missing. The the supers, Super Chat, Super Nat, um, Super Chai are all missing as well as a, a few other players. So it's a it's a different looking Thai squad. So it'll be interesting to see how they fare with effectively a, a B team. Malaysia, there was some little bit of controversy because none of the JDT players were selected for this tournament as well. Um, so, and we know notionally a lot of the, the Malaysian national team come from from JDT. So there are a lot of players from Malaysia that are missing as well. So it opens the door for, for Vietnam, who have a really strong squad. Um, uh, Nhung Kong um, uh, High has come back from France for this uh, for this tournament. So they've got a really strong squad. Um, so they would go in as favourites, probably alongside Indonesia as me, uh, for me as, as the favourites for this tournament. And given it is Park Hang So's final tournament, 
tournament. It'd be a great way to send him out, given everything he's achieved for uh, for Vietnam over the last what is it, five or six years. Indonesia, of course, uh, Shin Yong's team these days, former Brisbane Raw back in the day. Um, t- talking of Vietnam, uh, Park has suggested that more of their players should go overseas. Obviously, you mentioned Nguyen Quang Hai, who's now in France playing with Po. Uh, and by all accounts, a couple more might be set to follow. Uh, Nguyen Van Toan and Nguyen Kong Fong. You can see why Broski didn't want that question. <laughs> uh, with uh, South Korea and Japan potentially the uh, the destinations for those two. I did see, yeah, the rumour of Kong Fong uh, going to uh, to Japan. He's had a couple of stints overseas before, never quite been able to to make it stink linked with a move to, to Yokohama FC who have uh, earned promotion back up to J1. So that would be an interesting step up for him as well. And, and Van Tyne, as you said, with um, uh, linked to, to Seoul Eland, um, who are in the second tier of, um, of Korean football. It would be great if those players could get moves. We've seen it before. We saw um, Pratama Ahan, the Indonesian player, move to Tokyo Verde uh, on the back of last uh, year's Suzuki Cup, as it was was called then. Um, and that looked like a, it was going to be a great move for him on paper, going to a J2 club to really establish himself and really struggled. I think he only played one game across the season. So the, the important thing is when these players move, they've got to be able to move to clubs that's going to give them game time in order to develop. It's not it's not ideal if they just move. They're, they're going to get, you know, be in a great environment. But if they're not playing, it's ultimately worthless at the end of the day. And Paul, looking over uh, in China, there was a big game played overnight. Uh, Shandong Taishan beating uh, Shenzhen 8-0 with uh, former Man United mm. player Fellaini scoring twice. Uh, that brings uh, Shandong level on points with Wuhan three towns. Um, no one's catching them too, but they're both on 72 points and just three games to go. Mm. Yes, it sets up a really thrilling um, title chase um, in in the Chinese Super League. I'm I'm kind of surprised that Fellaini's still there. We've seen a huge exodus of the stars from from China over the last couple of years, and you can understand why, given you know the, the strict COVID protocols that have been put in place. It's not really an ideal environment for um, for players, and yet Fellaini has, has still stuck around, and you know potentially on the verge of uh, of winning the the, the, the Chinese title with with Shandong the interest still for me is at the other end of the table Herbay are guaranteed to, to get relegated they had a, a big points deduction so they're currently on on minus two points um, even some talk that the club might fold and they were one of the ones at the forefront of the big spending spree a couple of years ago but you've also got the likes of Guangzhou City and, and Guangzhou FC so um, which you know, Guangzhou FC used to be Guangzhou Evergrande who are on the um, verge of being relegated which would just be an absolute disaster given mm. where that club was you know only half a decade ago um to uh, to be relegated to the, the second tier of chinese football would be would be quite embarrassing but it says everything about where chinese football is at at the moment and i still want you to find out where the three towns of wuhan are and time for the next show <laughs> um just want to ask you a question a bigger picture question uh, fifa of course i'm sure you've seen announced an expanded mm. fifa club world cup 32 teams in 2025. That's going to go down well in Europe. Uh, playing it once every four years, plus a FIFA Women's Club Cup as well, and a FIFA World Series. <laughs> Talk about going down the American road. Uh, what, what does all that mean for Asia? It, depending on, on which one we look at, I think that I, I like the expanded Club World Cup Um competitions um it's not going to go down well with europe as you said but i think from an asian point of view what it does is it's if you've got 32 teams you're going to have probably 
four or five, potentially six from Asia. So what that does to the Champions League, and if it is going to be this enormous enormous pay packet as Infantino and FIFA would like it to be, then we know that they're talking about already increasing the, the prize money in the Champions League, which we know isn't enough already. But if that gets increased and you've got, you know, four, five or six slots that then go into this Club World Cup in which you can earn even more money, um, then it, it puts even more impetus on doing well in the Champions League. And I think that the more importance that we can place on that competition, the better. And from the women's side as well, we know there's a, a women's Asian Champions League going to be starting up soon. So if you've got the Women's Club World Cup as well, there's a huge opportunity for Australian clubs if the clubs and the APL invest in the A-League women's competition for these clubs to to go on and do something that's you know never been done with Australian clubs before, and that's perform on the international stage. And it's something the other codes can't do. They can't have their club sides go and represent against the best clubs. Imagine if we had Sydney FC or Melbourne Victory playing Chelsea against Sam Kerr, imagine what that would do for the women's game. I think the the, the potential in those two competitions is enormous. Yeah, absolutely agree. Um, one final one, Paul. Uh, the World Cup, of course, is over in Qatar. Uh, what spill-on effects do you think there'll be for the National League there? And I'm also intrigued. I, I know some of the stadiums are going to be dismantled, particularly in Stadium 974 that, that was made out of mm. uh, containers. Um, and I think one or two others are going to be reconfigured. But, I mean, they've got, they've got a, an absolute plethora now of world-class stadiums and and surely some of the club sides over there they're not going to be able to fill those what do they do with them and they're just going to sit there and rot like some of the others around the world that we've seen in past tournaments you'd hope not i mean i think a lot of them were were built with the idea of dismantling them after Mm. the world cup in mind or at least altering them down to you know more manageable capacities for what qatar needs them to be as you said stadium 974 is going to be um dismantled completely what happens with the league is going to be interesting. I think they would have been hoping that the national team performs better and they can then sort of get a boost on on the back of that. I did speak to uh, someone from the QSL a, a couple of months ago and they spoke about wanting to to pivot the competition away from being a place where, you know, fading European stars come for a big payday. They want it to be effectively a youth development league where they get the best young players in the world to come in um, and then sell them off uh, to uh, to Europe eventually and and use that as a way to, to build the competition. They want the Qatar Stars League to be the place where stars are born effectively. And that's a huge pivot from where they have been. And I'm it's a huge task to be able to get the best players in the world to want to go to Qatar as a as a feeder league, but that is the ambition that they've got in mind. It's been met with a little bit of resistance, as you would expect from some clubs in Qatar as well. So I think the entire Qatari football landscape is um, going to undergo a, a huge transformation on the back of this World Cup. And if they can pull it off, then all power to them because it's a it's the ideal path to go down. Um, but they're going to going to face significant hurdles in actually mm. getting it done. I think you might have come up with a marketing slogan there, Paul. Qatar Stars League, where stars are born. <laughs> uh, they can pay me later. <laughs> yeah. And uh, oversized stadiums and uh, youth development leagues. I think we oh, that sounds familiar, doesn't it? I wonder where we've heard that before. <laughs> hey, Paolo, brilliant as ever. Uh, love your insight on the Asian game. Don't forget to tune into the Asian Game podcast. And uh, Paul, uh, Paolo, we'll speak to you next week. Cheers, guys, and a Merry Christmas to both of you and all the listeners as well. And you too. You too, mate. Thanks very much. That's Paul Williams from the Asian Game Podcast.
us for another week. Our thanks to Kraken.com, Guzman y Gomez and Betfair for all their support during the World Cup. Thanks very much, guys, for getting behind the sport of football. Uh, our winner of the two Ali Men's tickets this week goes to Jay of the Blue Mountains for your tweet on things to look forward to uh, later this season. We needed that on a show like this. Uh, all that remains is for me and Broski to wish you all a very Merry Christmas. Thanks for all your interactions in 2022 so far. We'll see you next week.